to. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. Such a cool story right here. We're going to read about eight verses this morning. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him. Guess what's happening here? There's a blind man. There's a beggar on the side of the road calling out for Jesus. And those who are with Jesus, those are kind of at the front of the caravan that Jesus is in. They hear him calling for Jesus. And what do they do? Tell him to be quiet. They tell him to hush. They tell him to shut up. They rebuked him. They told him to be quiet. It says, but he shouted all the more. Don't you love it when people have obstacles to get to Jesus, but they don't let the obstacles stop them? They don't let that hold them back. They don't let that thing stay in their way. It says, he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. If you've got your Bible with you, I want you to underline these next two words. These words are so powerful. These words will rock your world if you really let them get into your spirit. It says, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Oh, I love that. It's so challenging. We're going to dive into that this morning. It says, Jesus stopped. And he says, he ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. What do you want me to do for you? That's so good. So I was preparing for this message. This has been a message that's been on my heart since the beginning of March. Uh, as I've been looking at this and reading this passage and meditating on it, I've asked myself the question, how would my marriage look different if that was my response? How would my relationships look different if that was my automatic natural response? How would my leadership look different? How would my ministry look different? How would my church look different? How would my friendships look different if my natural response to people was, what do you want me to do for you? Such an incredible question. I believe that that question can change a life. I believe that that question can change a city. I believe that that question can change a generation. If we, as God's church, got that into our spirit, that we would ask the very simple question, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? How can I invest in your life? How can I make a difference for you? The man answered him. He said, Lord, I want to see. Such a massive request. Such a big thing to ask. He says, Lord, I want to see. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Reading to you today out of the NIV, the 1984 edition. If you come to City Church on a regular basis, this is the edition, the translation that we read from primarily. Every once in a while we'll read from a different translation. And if we do, I will usually let you know or we'll kind of have a note of it on the screen. But in the NIV 84, which is the primary translation we use, uh, it titles this section in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 35, a beggar, or excuse me, a blind beggar receives his sight. That's the title of this passage. And this same passage occurs in Mark chapter 10, the same story, the same miracle. And Mark actually gives us a little bit more detail about this guy. He actually tells us his name. And in Mark 10, they tell us that his name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And so Bible scholars and kind of American church culture anyway, we've come to know this man as blind, 
Bartimaeus. And this is the story, the miracle of blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. Just to give you a little context of what's going on here, it says that Jesus is approaching Jericho. Well, Jesus is on a mission. He's on uh, a trip. Really, he's on a road trip. It's a 15-mile trip, which may not seem that much to us, but this is 15 miles on foot. And he's headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. In fact, the whole Passion Week of Jesus' life, the week that we are so familiar with, those last seven days that he was on earth before he was crucified, he is entering into that week. He is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to take the feast that, that celebrated God's protection for the Israelites in Egypt when the angel of death passed over their homes and did not take their firstborn sons during the plagues. He's about to celebrate that with his family, with his friends. He's about to, to take that feast and glorify God. And not only that, he's going to institute the ceremony of communion. Not only that, he's going to have what we call the triumphal entry. Jesus knows all this is coming. He's about to come into Jerusalem and people are going to wave palm branches. They're going to worship him. They're going to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's about to, to be this huge figure and have so many incredible things going on in his life. And then in a few days after that, he's going to be crucified. He experienced the most horrible, excruciating death imaginable. Die for your sins and for mine. And with all this going on, Jesus is on a road trip heading to Jerusalem. And he's coming up to Jericho, which is a few miles away from Jerusalem. And it's like the caravan is increasing as he goes. As he goes one mile, more and more people join. As he goes two miles, three miles, five miles, nine miles, the crowd keeps getting bigger. And it's getting better, bigger basically for two reasons. One is Jesus by this point is basically a celebrity. He's been on a tour of the countryside for three years, healing people, casting out demons, feeding the hungry, taking care of so many things, even raising the dead back to life. He's been doing incredible things all throughout Israel, and so he is well-known. The people know who he is. He is a celebrity. They want to get close to him. They want to touch him. They want to know him. They want to take their picture with him. They want to be around Jesus. But not only that, the crowd is getting bigger because Jesus isn't the only one heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was the tradition of the Jews to celebrate the Passover in the holy city. And so literally hundreds of thousands of Jews are descending on Jerusalem, not just from Israel, but Jews from all of the surrounding nations as well. It's what we call the diaspora, the dispersed Jews. And so Jesus is on this tour of the countryside, and, and now he's got this crowd gathering around him, and it's, you kind of picture it like Forrest Gump. Do you remember in the movie Forrest Gump when he goes on a run? And he just one day decides, I'm going to run. And so he runs all the way to the ocean, and he gets to the ocean, and he's like, well, might as well run to the other ocean. And he runs to the other ocean, and so he starts crisscrossing America, and about the fourth time that he's crossing the Mississippi River, we see this one lone runner who decides, I want to be with that guy. That guy's got it figured out. And so one guy starts running with him, and before you know it, there's a couple more people running with him. And before you know it, it's like a running party, which doesn't even make sense to me, but that's what's going on. There's a running party, and this whole crowd has gathered around, and they're running together, they're dancing, there's music, they're happy to run together. Have you ever been in a crowd where, where you were with your people, you were with your group, and you were headed somewhere? Maybe, guys, you're headed to a football game, and you got 80 of your people around you, and you're just heading into the game, you're pumped up, you're excited. Ladies, maybe for you, you were going shopping, 
And you got your cousins, you got your auntie, you got your mom, you got your sisters, you got your girls, you got your posse together, and you're all heading into the mall, and you know that mall can't even handle us. And you're pumped up, you're ready to go and shop, but you got your people all around you. Well, Jesus is with his people. Jesus is with his crew. He's with his posse. I love the scene that's going on here. When you got your people around you, you feel stronger. You feel more confident. You feel like you can take on anything. You ever been in a restaurant with like 10 of your people and you're laughing and you're getting loud and you're cutting up and you're bragging on each other and man, you're having fun. You're just feeling strong. You're feeling good. Now, if you're at the restaurant and you're not with your people and there's another group like that, you don't even like those people, right? Like, man, why do you think you own this restaurant, man? Be quiet. Look at them touching each other and getting all over each other, eating off each other's plates. What's wrong with them? But when you're in that group, man, it's the time of your life. You're loving it because when you're with your people, when you're with your boys, when you're with your crew, when you're with your posse, you feel strong, right? That's what's going on here. Jesus is with his crew. They are headed into the city. They're laughing. They're cutting up. They're telling stories. They're exchanging memories. They're making new memories. And in the midst of all this, in the midst of the noise, in the midst of the excitement, Jesus hears something. Love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love every single part of it. Reminds me of one of the greatest children's stories that there is. Horton Hears a Who. I don't know if you've ever read this piece of literary genius, but it was written by a guy named Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, I believe, wrote 46 children's books, many of which are incredibly beloved by people today. Uh, He was born in 1904. If he was alive today, he'd be 108 years old. And this is one of his most beloved stories. Uh, Of all the ones I've read, I've not read all 46. I'm not a Dr. Seuss scholar, but of the ones that I have read, this is probably my favorite message. And so I know you think you're smart. I know you think you got it together. I know you think you're high level, but I'm going to read you a children's story today at City Church. We're going to read Horton Hears a Who. It says, starting in page one, on the 15th of May, in the jungle of Newell, in the heat of the day, in the cool of the pool, he was splashing, enjoying the jungle's great joys, when Horton the elephant heard a great noise. So Horton stopped splashing. He looked toward the sound. That's funny, thought Horton. There's no one around. Then he heard it again, just a very faint yelp, as if some tiny person was calling for help. I'll help you, said Horton. But who are you? Where? He looked and he looked. He could see nothing there but a small speck of dust blowing past through the air. I say, murmured Horton, I've never heard tell of a small speck of dust that's able to yell. So you know what I think? Why, I think that there must be something on top of that small speck of dust. Some sort of a creature of very small size, too small to be seen by an elephant's eyes. Some poor little person who's shaking with fear that he'll blow in the pool. He has no way to steer. I'll just have to save him because, after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. Humph, humped a voice. "'Twas a sour kangaroo, and the young kangaroo in her pouch said hump too. And if I'm mispronouncing hump, I apologize. I'm not familiar with that one. 
why that speck is as small as the head of a pin. A person on that, why there never has been. I know there's a person down there, and what's more, quite likely there's two, even three, even four. Quite likely a family for all that we know. A family with children just starting to grow. So please, Horton said, as a favor to me, try not to disturb them. Just please let them be. Through the high jungle treetops, the news quickly spread. He talks to a dust speck. He's out of his head. Then Horton stopped walking. The speck voice was talking. My friend came to the voice. You're a very fine friend. You've helped all us folks on this dust speck no end. You've saved all our houses, our ceilings and floors. You've saved all our churches and grocery stores. You mean, Horton gasped, you have buildings there too? Oh, yes, piped the voice. We most certainly do. My town is called Whoville, for I am a who, and we whos are all thankful and grateful to you. And Horton called back to the mayor of the town, you're safe now, don't worry, I won't let you down. Humph, humped the voice, for almost two days, you've run wild and insisted on chatting with persons who've never existed. Such carryings on in our peaceable jungle, we've had quite enough of your bellowing bungle. With the help of the Wickersham brothers and dozens of others whose help I've engaged, you're going to be roped and you're going to be caged. And as for your dust speck, ha, that we shall boil in a hot steaming kettle of bezel nut oil. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, Horton called Mr. Mayor. You've got to prove now that you are really there. So call a big meeting. Get everyone out. Make every who holler. Make every who shout. Make every who scream. If you don't, every who is going to end up in a bezel nut stew. And down on the dust speck, the scared little mayor quick called a big meeting in Whoville Town Square. And his people cried loudly. They cried out in fear. We are here. We are here. We are here. We are hungry. We are hurting. We are lost. We are forgotten. We are here. The elephant smiled. That was clear as a bell. You kangaroos surely heard that very well. All I heard, snapped the big kangaroo, was the breeze and the faint sound of wind through the far distant trees. I heard no small voices, and you didn't either. And the young kangaroo in her pouch said me neither. Grab him, they shouted, and caged the big dope. Lasso his stomach with ten miles of rope. They beat him, they mauled him, they started to haul him into his cage. But he managed to call. To the mayor, don't give up. I believe in you all. A person's a person, no matter how small. And you very small persons will not have to die if you make yourselves heard. So come on now and try. The mayor grabbed a tom-tom. He started to smack it. And all over Whoville, they whooped up a racket. They blew on bazookas and blasted great toots on clarinets, oompas, and boompas, and flutes. Their voices were heard. They rang out clear and clean. And the elephant smiled. Do you see what I mean? They've proved they are persons, no matter how small. And their whole world was saved by the sound of them all. How true, yes, how true, said the big kangaroo. And from now on, you know what I'm planning to do? From now on, I'm going to protect them with you. And the young kangaroo in her pouch said, me too. From sun in the summer, from rain when it's fallish, I'm going to protect them no matter how smallish.
the end. That is the gospel according to Horton. Can't take any credit for that. I didn't write it, but thank you. Uh, Why are we reading a children's story on Sunday morning in the church of Jesus? I see a lot of similarities between this story of Jesus on the path to Jerusalem, hearing a faint voice over the crowd. And the story of Horton hearing this voice of the tiny, this voice of the overlooked, this voice of the forgotten. I love Horton's theme statement here, that a person's a person, no matter how small. I want to give you today four observations that I see, four intersections, four points that connect between our story in Luke chapter 18 and Horton Hears a Who, and I believe that connect with where we are today as the church of Jesus, as city church, where you are, whatever town God has you in, in Olive Branch, in South Haven, in Memphis, wherever he has you today. The first observation this morning is that life's interruptions can be God's big opportunities. Life's interruptions can be God's big opportunities. Horton very easily could have ignored the call to help. He could have continued to spend his days in the pool of Newell. He was having a good time. He was content. He was happy. He had everything that he needed. He was taken care of. But he responded just like Jesus did. As a matter of fact, Jesus was constantly being interrupted. Jesus didn't mind it. His style of leadership invited interruption. From his very first miracle in Cana to the time where he's preaching and a hole opens in the roof and he heals a paralyzed man to the time when he went to the official's son or when he was even interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus lived his life so that interruptions would become opportunities. He saw the opportunity in his interruptions. We see Jesus interrupted from a wedding reception, interrupted from preaching a sermon. We see Jesus interrupted from taking a nap. That's like the worst one. We see him interrupted on his way to visit a dying little girl. Time and time again, Jesus sets aside his personal recreation, his own daily goals, his aspirations, his career plan, the things that he thinks are important, and he sets those aside for an interruption from someone who needed something. Jesus saw interruptions as opportunity. I believe that there has to be something about spontaneity if we're going to reach a community. If we're going to change our neighborhoods, if we're going to populate heaven and plunder hell, we need to be flexible. We need to be obedient. We must be available for what God has us to do. It's interesting to me that blind Bartimaeus is yelling and hollering and screaming for help. And while he's doing this, how does the crowd view him? They see him as a downer. They see him as an inconvenience. They see him as a buzzkill. Verse 39 said, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They were talking. They were excited. They had somewhere to go. They had someone to be with. There was someone who's popular. Don't you love that? When you're with somebody who's a big deal, makes you feel like you're like at least a medium-sized deal because they're a big deal. They were with Jesus, man. They must be something. They must be kind of important. We don't have time for you. 
we got something greater than you to accomplish. And then you ever have that situation where you're with that person that you've been dying to talk to. You're with that person. You've just been looking for a chance to get a couple of minutes with them. You've been waiting for it for a long time. And just as you're starting to talk, somebody interrupts you. You're like, man, what are you doing? You're going to have to wait 10 minutes. I got to ask this question. I've been waiting five years to do this. Shut up. That's kind of how they felt. They're like, man, we're with Jesus. We don't get to be with Jesus that often. Jesus doesn't come through Jericho very frequently. This is a special occasion. We don't have time for you and your problems. The whole crowd saw him that way except for Jesus. Jesus looked at blind Bartimaeus differently. Jesus saw blind Bartimaeus as an opportunity, not as an inconvenience. Why? Because Jesus loves people. Jesus cares about our needs. Here's my question for you this morning. A question for myself. How do you see interruptions? How do interruptions register in your life? How do you deal with them? Because you see, we all have a flesh. We all have a sin nature. We all have a part of us that hasn't been redeemed, that hasn't been changed, that hasn't been saved. We all have this sin nature that's pulling us back to our old self rather than the new creation that God has made us to be. And our flesh will always see interruptions as a problem. Our flesh always views interruptions as a threat. The flesh always looks at what interruptions take from you rather than what interruptions can do for you. You The flesh looks at the way that interruptions will take away your time, take away your relaxation, take away your TV shows, maybe take away your sleep, maybe cost you finances, maybe cost you energy, maybe cost you your plans, your goals, even your independence. The flesh will always look at what an interruption costs. But here's what I believe. I believe that every one of life's interruptions Behind every one of life's interruptions is the opportunity to do the work of God. Behind every one of life's interruptions is the opportunity to do the work of God. It's a true statement, but it's a tough statement. It's a cool statement, but it's a costly statement. But if we're going to impact a hurting, overlooked, dying, needy, lost world, if we're going to be like Jesus, then we must first stop looking at the cost of interruptions and begin seeing the opportunity. This past week, I believe it was Monday night, Becky Brown, one of our members here who was actually on vacation this weekend, she was helping out with vacation Bible school and she was on her way home and she swung by the gas station and she had some big jugs of water that she was taking back from VBS. And there was a lady at the gas station whose car had overheated and she'd been there for two hours. No one had helped her. The lady had tried to go into the gas station to get some water. And unbelievably, the gas station attendant would not let her get any without paying for it. And she didn't have any money on her. So this lady was stranded there looking for someone to help her for two hours when Becky arrived. And Becky had places to go. If you don't know, Becky has, I think, three kids of her own. And she raises two kids of her sister's. She's got a house full. She's got stuff to do. She's got a busy, crazy, chaotic life. But in the midst of her chaos, Becky heard the need of this woman. She saw her. She went over to her and asked her, what can I do? Check. 
check, check. All right, we'll go with this. So Becky went, and she asked this lady, what can I do to help you? Got a little echo going. She said, what do you need? And she said, I just need some water. The simplest, most basic elements of life. She just needed some water. And so Becky had these jugs with her by the grace of God. I believe God sent Becky to that gas station. And she said, man, I'd love to help you. And so the lady's like, why are you carrying around jugs of water with you? Who does this? And so she got to tell her about the Vacation Bible School. She got to tell her about City Church. She got to invite her to come to church with her. She got to be a blessing in this woman's life. Why? Because she didn't view the interruption as an inconvenience. She looked at the interruption as an opportunity to do the work of God. We've got to have that mentality. Second thing we observe in this story is that no one is too little or too small for God's attention. I want you to remember that as you grow in your walk with God. I want you to remember that wherever God takes you, wherever you go, no one is too small for God's attention. Horton hears a who, but Jesus, Jesus hears you. Aren't you glad? That he hears you. She glad that he hears your cry. I love this scene by the roadside with the crowd and all the voices. It seems like they're just getting louder and louder and louder. Any of you parents have a kid like that? Kid tries to get your attention, and if they don't get it, they just get louder and louder until they do. It's like, Mama, 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 Mama! Have you ever heard that? Why do they got to get louder? Because they feel ignored. Because no one's noticing them. Because no one's recognizing their need. And blind Bartimaeus felt the same way. He's like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hoping and praying to finally get noticed. Hoping and praying that somehow, some way, his need could get met. And the crowd keeps telling him, shh. Be quiet. You're not that important. But he continues to strive for Jesus' attention. And Jesus hears the speck of dust on the side of the road. Above the noise of the crowd, above the noise of his success, above the noise of all the attention, above the noise of his plans, above the noise of his relationships, Jesus is drawn to this faint, small voice of the neglected. Why? Because no one is too little or too small for God's attention. Jesus notices every single one. And what does Jesus say? He says, what do you want me to do for you? How can I bless you today? What can I do to serve you, blind Bartimaeus? And the man says, Jesus, I want to see I want to see. He says, every day I sit here by the side of the road and I hear traffic going by. I hear people going to Jerusalem with plans to go to the market, with plans to sell things, with plans to buy a new donkey. I hear their feet shuffling, shuffling. Every day they're passing me. They're going by with places to go and people to see. They're headed to celebrate the Passover. They're going to the feasts. And here I am on the side of the road. I don't get to go. I get left out. I don't get to see what's going on. I don't get to be a part of it. I'm tired of living in this darkness. I'm tired of being neglected and abandoned. Jesus, can you please help me to see? And Jesus responds. 
I love how in the very beginning in Genesis 1, 1, or Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light. And here, fast forward so many thousands of years, Jesus says, let there be light one more time in the life of this individual. And in that moment, blind Bartimaeus ceases to exist and seeing Bartimaeus starts to exist. Everything changes in that one second. His entire life, his entire existence, he was just a beggar. Even though he was just alone, even though society ignored him and the crowd shunned him and everyone had not, didn't have time for him, Jesus heard his voice. No one is too little or too small for God's attention. Horton hears a who. Jesus hears you. And God cares about the smallest and most insignificant among us. Third thing we see here. Very basic. You've heard this a million times in your life, but sometimes we've got to hear it again. Number three, action speaks louder than words. Action speaks louder than words. Think about the disciples. The disciples are saying all the right things, right? Like, Jesus, we'll follow you. We want to be just like you. We want to do whatever you say. Jesus, we just want to touch people. We want to make a difference. They're saying all the right things. And yet here they are with Jesus, and an opportunity presents itself. And what's their reaction? We don't have time for you. We want to be with Jesus. See, action speaks louder than words. There's conversation going on. The disciples are loving the walking and talking with Jesus. They love the teaching. They love the theology. They're like, man, Jesus, just take us a little deeper. Jesus, teach us about predestination. Jesus, tell us a little more about the rapture. And I'm not knocking any of those things. We need to study those things. We need to know what we think about them. But sometimes conversation can be the enemy of compassion. And Jesus will always, always, always choose compassion over conversation. Jesus will always choose to meet a need rather than have a discussion. We don't impact the world out there with conversation. We can't touch the city that God has called us to touch with discussion. If all we do is we come in here and we sit and we preach a good message and we have a good conversation and we get all of our doctrine right but we don't do anything with it, it's a waste of time. It's not what God has called us to be. You don't reach the world with conversation. You don't change a family with conversation. You don't love your neighbor just simply with conversation. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not a time for words. I'm a preacher. I love words. I thank God for words. Communication is one of my favorite things in the entire world. I love to communicate. But if I'm not careful, I'll get so caught up in communication that I won't do anything. That's not who God's called me to be. That's not who God's called his church to be. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus was the greatest communicator that ever was. He was the greatest storyteller that ever walked the earth. He was, had the deepest theology of anyone who ever existed, but Jesus wasn't afraid to stop and do something. The book of James very famously teaches us that faith without works is dead. And I worry sometimes that that might be a great descriptor of the church in America sometimes. You know, there's over 200 million people in America that call themselves Christians. Over 200 million. 75% of our nation professes to be Christians. And yet society continues to get worse. More and more people go hungry. More and more need arises. Things continue to deteriorate. Sin continues to become greater. We have more and more people getting assassinated in mass shootings at theaters and schools and 
universities. More and more junk seems to happen in our country, yet we have 200 million people that call themselves Christians. Problem is, we got a whole lot of people that say it, but they're not living it. And I believe if we as God's church really chose to live the life that being a Christian means, if we chose to be his disciples, if we chose to be his followers, a whole lot of that would change. We get a whole lot more accomplished. We get a whole lot more done. We don't just have a lot of time to sit and discuss and debate everything. We got to do something. We got to get out there in the world and make a difference because action speaks louder than words. Horton was willing to risk a whole lot to save his friends. That speck of dust, that insignificant little speck became his passion. Because he acted on it, they were rescued. You all have people in your life who feel like that speck of dust today, who are floating around through life, wondering where is the next wind going to blow them? Is anyone going to notice? Is anyone going to care? Action speaks louder than words. We've got to put some action. The last observation I want us to see from Luke 18, and Horton hears a who, and last observation for what we need to do with all this is we must develop big ears. Elephants are famous for having the biggest ears in the animal kingdom. The flimsiest, scrawniest looking ears, but they got some big old ears. So they're famous for their ears. Jesus exhibited some big ears in this story. A couple months ago, my parents came over from North Carolina, and they spent some time with us, and when they come, they like to drive around. My dad's one of those, like, he's just old school. Like, if he's in a car, he's going to drive. It's just the way my dad rolls. So anywhere we're going, we're riding with dad. So my, Melody and I are sitting in the back seat in our, my dad's blazer, and mom and dad are talking. And throughout the week, certain things might come up about what we want to do or plans or something that we don't necessarily want them to hear because we want to surprise them. And so we whisper back and forth in the back seat, thinking there's no way they can hear us. There's music on. We're keeping our voice down, whatever. Well, like day five, after doing this for multiple days, we're in the middle of this little whisper fest about, like, what we're going to make for dinner. Because we don't want them to hear it because we're just stupid like that. But we're, we're whispering about dinner. And mom just, like, cuts in and speaks directly. She's like, oh, we don't want to do that. And we're like, how did you hear that? Like, you're in your 60s. You're not supposed to be able to hear us whispering in the back seat. Well, my mom's always had big ears, and I don't mean physically big ears, but I mean my mom's always been able to hear everything that's going on. And I don't know if you were blessed with a mom like that. I say blessed, sort of meaning it and sort of not meaning it. But I was blessed with a mom who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, she always knew what was going on. She knew if I was getting in trouble. She knew what was questions to ask, what to inflict herself upon and find out more information. She always knew. My mom has always had some big old ears. She knows what's going on. In my life, in my life, in my world, Jesus has some incredible ears. I don't mean physically. I mean his ears were tuned to the smallest voice, to the smallest need, to the most insignificant, most overlooked person on the side of the road. Praise God that he's got big ears today. And we must develop some big ears. The great news is that's what we can do. We can develop big ears. We can invest our time, our talent, our treasure to help those little specks of dust, those blind Bartimaeuses in our world that are crying out for someone to notice, for someone to care. You can give a kind word. You can serve. You can get involved. You can embrace the interruptions of life and seize the opportunities that God gives you to impact your world. You can develop big ears. Maybe you're here today and you say, now. 
I can't do that. I'm too weak. I'm too small. I'm not valuable enough to impact somebody's life. Here's what I want you to know. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 tells us that God chooses, not just uses, but God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you say you're too weak today, I say you're right where God wants you to be. See, because it's not through our power. It's not through my power. It's not through your ability that we impact the world anyway. It's through the love of Jesus Christ living through us and shining in our lives. You can make a difference. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're the speck of dust. Maybe you feel ignored, forgotten, misplaced. Maybe you feel endangered, threatened. You fear what tomorrow could bring. If that's you today, I want you to know Jesus hears you. Jesus hears your need. Jesus hears your concern. Jesus' ears are big enough to hear your cry. Jesus knows what you're struggling with. Jesus is not ignoring you. He is not abandoning you. In fact, I believe if you're here today and you feel like that speck of dust, I think that Jesus is making his way to the side of the road towards you right now. I believe he's speaking to your heart. He's wooing you. and He wants to help. He wants to be involved. If you would bow your head and close your eyes as we wrap up today. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he loves you. He cares about you. He wants to know you. He wants to be in your life. He wants to save you from your sin, but he wants to empower you to live for him. If that's you today, I want to give you a chance to know this Jesus who died for your sin, this Jesus who made it possible for you to spend eternity with God the Father in heaven. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to, get, I want to pray with you. If you would just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want to pray. I want to give my life over to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. Praise God. Praise God. Second question, if you're here today and you just feel like that speck of dust today and you've got some kind of need, you've got some kind of concern, you feel like blind Bartimaeus calling from the side of the road and you feel like no one notices, no one hears, I want you to know that Jesus notices and that Jesus cares. But I want to pray with you and pray for you this morning. If you would, just slip up your hand and say, that's how I feel this morning. I just feel ignored and overlooked. See your hands. Anyone else say, count me in on that prayer. Hands all over this room. Who else? Say yes. That's how I feel today. Praise God for your honesty. I respect that so much. Father God, you see every one of these hands. God, you know the hurts of these people, Lord. I don't know what it is that's caused them to feel this way. God, I don't know what's caused uh, their life to fall apart or what's caused them to, to, to not have someone there who's meeting their needs, God. But I know that you love them. And, Lord, I know that your promise is you will supply all their needs according to your riches and glory. And right now, God, I pray that you would touch them emotionally. God, I pray that you would, you would bind up their broken hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom. Wisdom, if there's something they need to do to get out of the situation, God, I pray that you would put someone in their life to encourage them, someone in their life to support them, someone in their life to be there with them. God, I just ask that they would sense your Holy Spirit all over them. God, that you would give them the peace that passes understanding, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of their problem. Lord, that you would just assure them that you are with them. We thank you that you are. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. Guys, let's develop some big ears. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be in tune with the needs of the people around us. Mission OB this weekend is a great opportunity to do that. If you 
don't have anything going on, if you don't have plans Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, it might be an interruption to your schedule. But let me tell you, life's interruptions are God's big opportunities. I believe we have an opportunity to interrupt our schedule, to set aside some recreation and make a difference in a community. And I think God is going to use us in a big way. We'd love to have you participate in that. If you would, let's stand up. Go ahead and stretch for a second. Give somebody a high five. Tell them they got big ears. Speak it in faith over them. Tell them their big ears are sexy. I'm just kidding. Don't tell them that. But, uh, man, let's worship God one more time before we leave today. Thank you, guys.